quite the news coming out of the National Hockey League this past week with a couple of big trades, some big news involving one of the best goaltenders of our generation. The Islanders finally show some life. We talk Leafs and Team Canada at the World Junior Hockey Championships. All that and more, episode 147 of the Second Thoughts Hockey Podcast. Let's go. Another beautiful Tuesday afternoon here for the Second Thoughts Hockey Podcast. Kyle Gamard, what's going on, guys? It's been a um, been a busy week, hockey-wise. If you would like to follow along with all the news and updates going around on our channel, you can do so by following on Instagram and Twitter at ST Hockey Podcast, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Anchor.com, wherever you decide to listen to podcasts, we are set up there and ready to go. Man, similar to last week, there's a lot of stories that went around. There's a couple trades, a big signing, some news involving one of the greatest goaltenders that we've seen come into the league. Remember the Islanders? They're awake. They did something. So we'll talk about them as well, and then we'll we'll briefly touch on Team Canada and a couple other news stories before we uh, head on out here. Let's uh, let's start with the big signing. The Calgary Flames landing Nazem Kadri, one of the biggest free agents somehow still on the market like a month and a half later to a seven-year deal with a contract carrying cap hit of $7 million per season. This was announced on Thursday. He was arguably the top remaining player on the market, one of the top players in general. He had a breakout season with Colorado with 87 points in 71 games and played a significant role and helping the team capture the Stanley Cup. The Flames and Kadri have been talking basically since free agency, and it gone down to them. Evidently, uh, the Islanders were involved, which is hilarious, because on the last episode of this podcast, I came on and said that there's deals already in place with Noah Dobson, Alexander Romanov, we'll get to that later, and Nazem Kadri. There were rumors out there that the deal was already talked about. It just hadn't been filed or anything like that. <laughs> Two days later, Kadri signs with the Flames. He can't make this stuff up. I'm never trusting the Islanders organization and Lule Morello, who I don't know if he finds this funny or anyways, not, not about them. It's about the Flames. Nazem Kadri came on, said, quote, couldn't be more thrilled to join such passionate fan base and organization. I've always loved the city of Calgary, and I look forward to giving everything I have to this team. Now, remember, a lot of people hear this. Back when he was a Toronto Maple Leaf, there was a deal in place for Toronto to send Nazem Kadri to the Calgary Flames in exchange for, hilariously now, at the time, Calgary Flame defenseman TJ Brody. Those were the big pieces, and then there's going to be something else coming back as well. That deal got nixed by Kadri, and everyone thought, ah, oh, he hates Calgary then. No, he was committed to Toronto and said, I don't want to go. And maybe saying no there would have made the team been like, oh, well, he wants to be here, wants to get better. And then the Leafs traded him to Colorado like <laughs> like a week later or something like that. I will say this about the Calgary Flames and Brad Tree Living. I've already said this on the last episode. I am just reiterating what I have already said. Brad Tree Living is the front runner and should already be considered the general manager of the year. If the Flames make the playoffs, which as we look at that team, they should, He should win GM of the year. Here's why. He walked into free agency this year and his two best players said, we don't want to be here anymore. 
One left in free agency after debating between them and Columbus and then dipped. So Calgary got nothing for him outside of the cap space he gave them. And the next player they were going to sign or keep around, their next best player, arguably their best player, told them, I'm not going to sign here long term. Trade me. He was the guy that was going to get the $10.5 million offer, the captaincy, the works in Calgary. And he said, I don't want to be here. Those two, along with another player who we'll talk about, take Calgary's best two players outside of maybe their goaltender. And Bradtree Living found a way to turn Johnny Gaudreau and Matthew Kachuk. One of those players he got for nothing. Used the cap space he created. Uh, Okay, I'm going to add this part here because this analogy is going to make more sense. On top of everything else, they sent Sean Monaghan to the Habs in exchange for a first-round pick. Or no, along with a first-round pick for future considerations. So they dumped Sean Monaghan. He had, I think, $6.35 million um, on his cap hit. That is now gone, which allowed the Flames to go re-sign Kadri. So the Flames... <laughs> so years ago when the Flames made these draft picks, they draft Goudreau, Chuck, Monahan. They're like, great. These are the centerfold pieces. These are the cores of our team. And now all three players are no longer a part of that team, which even if you're a Flames fan, you got to look back now that you see your team be like, all right, that's kind of funny. Those three core players that were supposed to be here for forever are now no longer on this team. So you take Goudreau, Kachuk, and Monaghan, and you somehow turn that into Kadri, Huberto, Mackenzie Wieger, oh, and a first-round pick. They then have money to re-sign Andrew Mangiapane. I'm going to say it. I think they have a deeper team now. I think they're a more balanced team. I think they are deeper on defense. I don't love their third line, but but this could change. And right now, as I look at their lines, here's their team. Elias Lindholm, Jonathan Huberto, Tyler Toffoli. Yeah, you forgot they had Toffoli, didn't you? Second line, Nazem Kadri, Andrew Mangiapane, Blake Coleman. Third line, Michael Backlund, Dylan Dubé, And then they've got a guy by the name of uh, Jacob Pelletier there. Fourth line, Kevin Rooney, Trevor Lewis, Milan Lucic. That can all change. They can get a fourth line center, a third line winger at some point. Defensively, Noah Hannafin, Rasmus Anderson, Chris Tanev, Mackenzie Wieger, Nikita Zadorov, and Oliver Kylington. There is no Erica Branson there anymore. And yes, Erica Branson, statistically and analytically, is not a great defenseman. He just signed a four-year, $4.5 million deal with Columbus. He was, he was a player that got eaten alive in that Edmonton series. You essentially swapped on this defensive lineup Erica Branson with Mackenzie Wieger. Mackenzie Wieger, a lot of people would argue, is a, around a top 10, top 15 defenseman in the league. And he's going to be on your second pairing. That's un- I will reiterate this. Brad Tree Living is already the front runner for GM of the year. Here's where everyone whines and complains. Oh, but Kyle, they gave up a first round pick for uh, to get uh, out of the Sean Monahan contract. 
They also got a first round pick in the trade with Jonathan Huberto. So they essentially just swapped first round picks. Said, thank you very much. We'll take a... That was basically like getting rid of... That first round pick equivalent was getting Sean Monaghan off the books. And then they kept a first round pick. They had two first round picks. Montreal was like, just give us your first. And True Living's like, here you go. Deal. We have another one. Now guess what? They can also use that other one to upgrade their team again. They're, they're in a win now mode. And Brad True Living, in my opinion, is general manager of the friggin' year. He was given one of the worst. Think about your favorite team right now. For example, let's do the Toronto Maple Leafs. If take Toronto's two best players. That's not really fair because Matthews is like a top two player in the world. But like for fun, because then we'll take the equivalent. Let's say, for example, this would be like Toronto. Matthews and Marner out the door. Marner leaves for free agency, and then Matthews is like, I don't want to be here, I want to be traded. And then Kyle Dubas turns that into Bowen Byram, Nathan McKinnon, a first-round pick. They get out of a contract that's so bad on that team. I don't know if they have one right now. They get out of a contract, and then they go grab another really, really good defenseman. And you're sitting there afterwards like, oh, they somehow still seem like they're going to be all right. You know what I mean? Let's say they use the first they get out of the Tavares thing and then they sign Nazem Kadri for fun. You'd be like, how did he work this masterclass? That's what we should all be thinking right now with Brad True Living. How did he work this masterclass? His two best players said, Bye, I don't want to be here. One you get for nothing. The other one's like, all right, you can at least get some stuff for me. And then Tre Living fleeced the Florida Panthers. Got Jonathan Huberto, who's, by the way, re-signed long-term. A first-round pick. Mackenzie Weger, oh, and a former first-round pick prospect, I believe. Or a former third-round pick. I, I, I'm speechless. Is wildly impressive. Wildly impressive. The Flames are one of my new favorite. Like, they, they just because of two players leaving, I'm almost rooting for them next year because I want all those players that were that were brought in afterwards and like signed long term. I now want them to do well. And then Goudreau, who turns around and listen, I'm, I'm never going to bash a player for going and, and getting paid and going to a place where they want to play and they want to win. Goudreau's closer to family. I don't know about Kachuk. Florida's not really that close to St. Louis, in my opinion, because that's where his dad's from. That's where they're from. But I don't know. Whatever. Florida's nice. I get it. But now I just want Calgary to do well. Now I want that fan base to be happy. Now I want those players to to thrive. Oh, and now they have Nazem Kadri to fill in that two-center role. And now the Flames are set. They're set. They are geared. They're ready to go. Their windows now. Their core of... Mid to late 20-year-olds got replaced by early 30-year-olds who are locked in now. They are they are here to win. They are here to win now. Lindholm is around that same age. Their youngsters are like Mangiapani. Blake Coleman's in, in that in that grouping. Trafoli's in that grouping of like early 30-year-olds. Like there, there is no room to grow. 
There's no time period for the Flames anymore. It's, all right, we're going for it. You got the goaltender Markstrom. You've got the depth on D. They have one of the better defensive depths in hockey. And you basically replaced Gabranson, who is big, slow, physical, which is nice. But you have another one of those in Nikita Zdorov. And you replaced him with Mackenzie Weger, who is also not as big, but big, physical, can move like crazy, and is a nightmare to play against defensively. The Flames also did this. Here's my last point before we move on here. Not only I feel like the Flames did this to make themselves better. You know another reason why they were so hard after Kadri and why Mackenzie Weger was a part of that deal? Treliving is building this team not just to be able to, to win the West or to, to go far in the playoffs. No, no, no. He built this team to beat the Oilers. Remember in the Canadian division... Or even, sorry, it was the year prior when the Oilers were playing the Leafs. And it was like the first glimpses at like McDavid Matthews. Who was the shutdown guy against Connor McDavid? Nazem Kadri. Who's the defenseman that is known to shut down speed? Formerly on the Florida Panthers. Mackenzie Weger. You've added two elements that immediately counteract what the Edmonton Oilers do. Which is... We're going to throw smoke and mirrors left, right, and center. And then McDavid and Dreisaitl are going to do most of, if not all of the damage. By the way, this same tactic can be used against the Colorado Avalanche. Nazem Kadri's former team in which Nazem Kadri is no longer a part of and can be a guy who helps shut down Nathan McKinnon. And Mackenzie Wieger, who can shut down speed and really good offensive players, which Colorado has. Flames are in a really good spot, man. Really good spot. I love the moves. I think True Living's already the front runner for GM of the year. Uh, let's quickly talk on how they got there, which was Montreal gets Sean Monahan. 27 years of age, played 65 games this past season. Unfortunately, due to injury, was limited, and he had a career low 23 points. Now, a fresh start can do wonders for a player. We have seen this time and time again in the National Hockey League. He makes $6.375 million. He is a former 30-goal scorer three separate times, but has now dealt with major hip injuries in recent seasons. Now, the Flames thanked Sean Monahan for what he did. He was a first-class individual. He's a former first-round pick of the team. And by the way, just to add on to the Flames hype... <laughs> They didn't trade a first-round pick from 2023. They didn't trade the first-round pick from 2024. No, no, no. They traded it from 2025. So they have two first-round picks this year still, which is hilarious. But for the Flames, or sorry, for the Habs, now you add a little bit of extra depth. Now I go on and I'm going to go to the Montreal Canadiens line combinations. And if, if he comes back from injury and we have a healthy Sean Monaghan, again, he played 65 games this past season. But now the Flames could look like something like this. We're up the middle. You can now move Christian Dvorak to the wing. You've got Caulfield, Suzuki, Hoffman. Then you can run a... Uh, I don't know if Monaghan's going to be healthy because as of right now, he's technically placed on LTIR. But even so, remember... 
Kirby Doc is on this team. Christian Dvorak, Josh Anderson, Jonathan Huberto, Bryn Gallagher. This is quietly a pretty sneaky team. Now, defensively, it's Michael Matheson, David Savard, Joel Edmondson, Chris Weidman. Defensively, they're they're in rough stretches right now. And then in goal, they still have Jake Allen and Sam Montembeau. But if he comes back, you can move one of those guys. A Christian Dvorak is a way more effective player on the wing. He just is. Think about it for a second. There are many players who come out of junior hockey or minor hockey playing center and are better suited for wing. Toronto has two of them. Marner played center with the London Knights, with Dvorak and with Kachuk. They all played center at one point, but Marner's a better winger. William Nylander played center, plays center sometimes in international hockey. He's a better winger. It happens all the time. Players come out playing a little bit of that. They then move to a wing and they are immediately a better player. Maybe you can do it with Monaghan. Maybe you can do it with, with Dvorak. Maybe you can do it with Kirby Doc. Maybe Kirby Doc can become a top six winger in this league. If you allow him to move up. Now maybe he's a center and he moves up and he's now your number two center. But nevertheless. I... On top of getting Monahan, you get the first round pick. Why wouldn't you do it? Right now, you can pay him off to the side. If he cuts healthy, if he comes back in your lineup, fantastic. You always want a player to come back and, and have a healthy start, have a fresh start, have a fresh perspective. And it looks like he's going to get that opportunity with Montreal. And Montreal, they're pretty busy up front in terms of, of forward depth. And now they have flexibility to potentially move another forward to make room for Sean Monahan, or maybe he stays on IR. At this point, we don't really know. There's not a whole lot of information came about his health or where he's going to be at, but nevertheless, the Flames get that done. The Habs get a first-round pick and a potential player who, if he can come back from injury, can play somewhere in that top nine. But nevertheless, Sean Monahan is a Montreal Canadian at this point. Let's stick on the Montreal Canadiens for a second here. There's some bad news that came out about goaltender Carey Price. And that it looks unlikely that he'll be able to suit up at all for the 2022-2023 season. Coping with long-standing knee injuries. And things that have kept him out for some time. Uh, We need to start talking about the fact this could be a realistic, we might never see Carey Price in the NHL again. Which is super unfortunate. So this dates back to 2021. He had went knee surgery in the summer of 2021 after that miraculous Stanley Cup run. And then while rehabbing the injury for several months, he went into the NHL's Players Assistant Program before the following season. He then played five games this past season in his 15th year and said that he doesn't believe his injured knee is going to allow him to handle a full season's workload in the future. He also came out and acknowledged that he may have played his last game in the NHL. So right now, Price, I believe, has four more years left. He's paid under contract till 2026. So he's got four more years left after signing an eight-year deal in 2017. That contract is $10.5 million. Now, I don't know what the rules are pertaining to this, but I remember when Roberto Luongo retired 
even after he was traded from the Vancouver Canucks. When he retired as a member of the Florida Panthers, the Vancouver Canucks had to deal with some cap casualties and had to deal with a dead cap for, I think, a few years. I'm unsure if Montreal would have to deal with it, and maybe the penalty is lessened, or maybe Montreal is able to get out of it for some reason, but nevertheless, for at least this season, Carey Price will be on LTIR, and then there will be some decision moving forward about if he's ever able to play again. But it's a lot harder coming back from injury at 35, 36 years of age and everything he's overcome than when you're 24, 25. It's a different ballgame. Your body's younger, healthier, fitter, faster, stronger, whatever you want to describe uh, you know, that as. It's tough because a lot of people have come out and said Carey Price is the arguably the best goaltender of, of our of this past generation. And Vasilevsky is not in that generation. That generation was from the early 2000s draft. Marc-Andre Fleury was a part of it. And he was the name that got brought up quite a bit. So I saw a, uh, I saw a stat. That Carey Price, over his entire career with the Montreal Canadiens, has had one, one 80-point scorer on his team. Does Alexei Kovalev. After Alexei Kovalev did it, no other teammate he has ever had has been able to put up 80 points or more. Isn't that insane? So here's... So for Carey Price, because I know that everyone's going to be like, he doesn't have the cup rings. If he had the cup rings... Right, because you start talking about best goaltenders of a generation. You go back and everyone, there's that argument of, of Waugh versus Brodeur. I had a conversation about a buddy like this. And he's like, I'd take Patrick Waugh. And I'm like, Waugh, I'd take Marty Brodeur. And he's like, well, he's got the most career uh, playoff victories of all time. And I pulled up their stats. And Brodeur has not only a better save percentage in the playoffs, but a better goals against average in the playoffs. And then has a better save percentage in the regular season and a better goals against average in the regular season. He also has the most career wins in NHL history, the most career shutouts in NHL history. And I just remember Broder better. I don't like not that I'm ever saying anything against Wah. And I know that those are I don't know those are the two that always seem to be the, compar- the uh, comparables to me. But I always just love Broder's demeanor. Like Wah, you could get under his skin. He was always showboaty. He literally gave up a goal because he was showing the crowd he had the puck in his glove and then the Red Wings scored on him. But he made scenes on the bench. I'm not saying Brodeur didn't do this, but Brodeur, when he was in net and he was on, you're like, oh my God. It's just, I remember there were early uh, series in like the late 90s, early 2000s. It was Toronto, uh, New Jersey. And it was Marty Brodeur versus Curtis Joseph. And you get to, if the first period ended 0-0, you're like, all right, the only winner of this game, whoever basically scores the first goal wins the game. That's how it went. I don't don't remember any games in those series where a team had more than two goals on a goalie. It was 1-0 or 2-1 or 2-0. There were no other scores unless somehow you scored an empty netter. But God, those were intense games. And you just knew it. Like the whole series, like at the end of the series, they'd look at the goaltending stats and it's like Marty Martin Brodeur, a 0.68 
goals against average. Curtis Joseph, a point nine two goals against average. And you're like, I can't believe this dude's not playing anymore. It's because Broder was that good. But anyways, the comparable is Marc-Andre Fleury. And Marc-Andre Fleury... All right, so right now, Carey Price has a career 917 save percentage. He also has a Hart Trophy, a Vesna, and of course, an Olympic gold medal with Team Canada. Marc-Andre Fleury doesn't have the heart. He finally got his Vesna. He, he technically has a gold, but he didn't play. But he also has three Stanley Cups with Pittsburgh. Now, you could make the argument, well, Matt Murray won two of them. All right, well, he was a part of those two teams. And even if so, he had one before Matt Murray was there when they beat the Red Wings. So he still has a cup. But if you're going to look at me and be like, Kyle, who are you going to take prime of? Carey Price or Marc-Andre Fleur at their best? I, you're taking Carey Price. Because Carey Price has had those games. Where you go into a game and you know in the first period your team's out shooting, you're you're shooting the Habs 13 to 4 and it's 0 0, and you're like, oh my God, we're never gonna score on them. And then the Habs score a goal, and you're like, <sighs> and that's the way the game goes. I think Flurry had those moments, but Flurry's also been in series against the Philadelphia Flyers where he's giving up three goals on a, in a period consistently. So I understand the argument. Of Carey Price being the greatest goaltender of our generation. And the argument for him not having a Stanley Cup, you go back and you go, well, he's, he's had one 80-point player in his entire career. What are you supposed to do with that? Now, it's also been a tale of two different Carey Price individuals. Before signing his monster extension, at the time in 2016... He had a career 920 save percentage in 500 games. The Hart, Vesna, Olympic gold. Since then, his career 908 save percentage in 203 games. But then that playoff run of a 927 save percentage, three shutouts in 32 games. It's one of those where, amazingly, the stats don't do it justice for a player like Carey Price. And that you just have to watch him. And you know for a fact that the moment you watch him make a few like really big saves early in the game. And he was, he was always a guy that had that super calm, cool demeanor about himself. The moment you saw that, you're like, oh man, this is game over. So it's tough news for Carey Price. It's tough for the Montreal Canadiens. Because if you didn't get to watch Carey Price in his prime when he was absolutely dominant, you missed out on one of the greatest goaltenders we've seen in the National Hockey League. Um, okay, let's move on to some news stories here because guess what, folks? Lou Lamorello and the New York Islanders are alive. They took care of business with three restricted free agents yesterday. They signed Noah Dobson, Alexander Romanoff, and Kiefer Bellows to new contracts. So, Dobson and Romanoff signed three-year deals. Bellows is a one-year. Financials right now, I believe Noah Dobson's is about a $4 million deal. Alexander Romanoff is an AAV of 2.5, and Kiefer Bellows is $1.2 million. Before the signing, the Islanders had $11.1 million. Now, they were in on guys like uh, Nazem Kadri and Johnny Gaudreau. 
What apparently happened? The Islanders were not able to create enough cap space. They were talking about potentially moving a player like Anthony Beauvillier or I don't know if a Brock Nelson but or Josh Bailey, but those were players. Remember, Josh Bailey was left um, exposed for the Seattle expansion draft and they elected to take Jordan Eberle. So Josh Bailey remained with the organization. There were also very light rumors of potentially him coming to Toronto at some point. But nevertheless, they couldn't move anything to, to free up cap space, so they take care of their own business. Romanoff, Bellows, and Noah Dobson all locked up to small-term deals. Again, waiting till the end. I talked about this a lot. I, did, I don't understand Lula Morello's tactics when going about free agency. Now, I do understand kind of waiting a little bit and seeing if players' offers come down in terms of what they're willing to take because the longer you wait in the offseason, the more desperate players get and they start accepting less money. But for players like Kadri and Gaudreau, you've got to act fast. And of all things in the world to happen, this was the one that played into Lou Lamorell's favor. Because Nazem Kadri stayed on the market for a month and a half. He was looking at maybe the 8, maybe 8.5 range. He went down to 7. Lou Lamorello, you couldn't come up with a, a, a deal to move a player for a 4th or 5th round pick? You don't think an upgrade over Anthony Bovillier, and I like him as a player, but you don't think a Nazem Kadri is an upgrade of a player over on that team? And then you could re-sign Dobson and Bellows and all those guys because that cap space, there's not a lot of extra cap space that you needed to create in order to make that happen. That's why I'm so confused as to how this wasn't in the Islanders' favor. But they get their, they get their guys taken care of. Noah Dobson is, is going to be a very good right-hand shot defensive player. He is easily the most notable. He's only 22 years of age. He had a breakout season. He had 51 points, averaging 21 and a half minutes. And he was the 12th overall pick four years ago. And I think they're st- finally starting to reap the rewards and benefits. And the fact of the matter that he's 22, but he was drafted four years ago, was insane to me. So good on him. Uh, Alexander Romanov was the um, acquired from for the 13th overall pick in this year's uh, draft. He was a former second-round selection of the Canadians in 2018. He has 19 points in 133 games, as, as well Kiefer Bellows was drafted 19th overall in 2016. Hasn't made his big impact yet as a top uh, prospect. He now has 67 games under his belt with 25 points as well. I feel like I read that wrong from there. Alexander Romanov, the Islanders acquired Romanov at July's draft for the 13th overall pick. I um, feel like there was more in that deal, but nevertheless, the Islanders get their guys done. That's a big one for Lou. We'll see if they do anything else because they've still got some cast base to work with. There's a couple other players out there, but uh, one that was just taken off the market that we'll get to at the end of the show. Um, all right. I want to talk about the Leafs here and their one pending RFA, Rasmus Sandin. And despite the fact that we're deep into the offseason, the Leafs and Rasmus Sandin are at a standstill for a new contract. Sandin's agent, Louis Gross, said negotiations are going nowhere. There have been no movements. Neither Gross nor Maple Leafs general manager Kyle Dubas divulged into why a deal has not been reached. Basically, Dubas came out and said negotiating contracts via the media, quote, has an adverse impact on player and team reputation traditionally does not create resolutions to private matters. So Dubas didn't like that Gross came out. Gross doesn't like that there's not a deal done. So the Leafs signed 
RFA defenseman earlier this season, Timothy Logan, to a two-year deal with an average annual value of $1.4 million. That is a very comparable deal to Rasmus Sandin, who has played less games, has fewer points, and towards the end of the season was playing less and less, also now has an injury history. Sandine wants like $2.5 million. Noah Dobson just signed for four. Oliver Kylington in Calgary signed for two and a half. I don't understand where a player like this, because normally in RFA conversations, a player has absolutely zero negotiating rights. They have no leverage whatsoever. They have rights. They just have no leverage on the matter. Because the Leafs, even if they don't sign him, he doesn't become a UFA at the end of the at the end of November. He is team property for the remainder of the season. So the Leafs can be like, all right, go play overseas. We don't care. Now, Sandine is upset because the Leafs have Morgan Riley, Jake Muzzin, and Mark Giordano all playing the left side of the Leafs' blue line, which, of course, is where Sandine plays. On the right side, they've got Lilligren, they've got Brody, and they've got, at the moment, Justin Hall. There might be other options here. If the Leafs want to make an impact, they're trying to create cap space. I wonder if a guy like Rasmus Sandin is the, is the piece in place to go acquire a top six forward. There were conversations about potentially bringing in a player like JT Miller. I don't know if he's going to get moved anymore. There was also a report. There were reports of the Edmonton Oilers being in on Patrick Kane. There were also brief discussions of the Leafs being in on Patrick Kane. Rasmus Sandin would seem to be a pretty ideal piece. And from what I remember being with the Vancouver Canucks and following the media stream along, Rasmus Sandin was quite a highly thought out player with the organization and would be a player a lot of teams would love to bring into their organization and build around. Chicago is in the full midst of it. A deal where Kerfoot, Sandin, and I don't know, another cap thing happened. And maybe a pick to get Patrick Kane over makes a lot of sense to me. The Leafs are like, hey, Kane, you're probably not going to, you're probably not re-signing with Chicago. Chicago's more than happy to eat half that deal. And in return, you get a first and, and a prospect, a blue line, blue chip prospect in Rasmus Sandin that you can build around and help play. Just don't play him with Seth Jones. And I don't know. It also depends on what the value of Patrick Kane is. Depends on how they see him. But I remember Vancouver is very high on Sandine. If this is a, you got to win this year, go go for it. You got two years at Giordano at 800K. You got two years at Lilligren at 1.4. One more year of Hall. If you can get Kerfoot out the door to create a little bit of cap space to bring in a player like Miller, Kane, without moving Nylander or Marner or any one of those guys. Like the Leafs team would look like this. It'd be... Because you put Matthews and Kane together, gross, with Michael Bunting. Then you'd put, then you put John Tavares and Marner back together. Who John Tavares had his most productive season ever when he was playing with Mitch Marner, and Marner's only been better as a player since. Got Bunting on the one side, and now Nylander can be like your your full time third line right winger with David Camp and whoever you want. So now you have a scoring right winger, and then you have Callie Yarncrock on your fourth line. Like, it's just the possibilities at that point would be endless, and you have a juggernaut to go all in, and I know the goaltending's questionable, but that could also be your move. You send in, go acquire a blue-chip prospect goaltender 
from a team, go to Detroit, give us Sebastian Casa. Go, you know what I mean? Like, go find a blue chip goaltender if you don't think you have one. Now, I think they can get something out of Ilya Samsonov. He's only 25. And I think Matt Murray has a chance to bounce back if he stays healthy. But it is looking a lot less likely that Rasmus Sandin is going to be a Toronto Maple Leaf. And I wonder what they're going to do moving forward. Um, and to kind of wrap up what happened over the past weekend, Team Canada winning gold at the World Junior Hockey Championships. It was as dramatic a finals as we have ever seen. Of course, the save by Mason McTavish in overtime. This is incredible. Chip up and was going right in. That's out of the air. Oh, onto the line. And it was McTavish who made the bad decision to give up. And the then, of course, one. the goal at the end of the game, the overtime winner that sent Canada into a frenzy. And Team Canada walks away with a gold medal, defeating Finland three to two. Uh, what a. Uh, and it was fun having hockey in uh, in August. Kent Johnson, the OT winner. Mason McTavish with a big save. Edmonton getting a little summer hockey thrown into the mix with everything going on. So it's fun. So Canada jumped out to an early 2-0 lead. Uh, then all of a sudden, Finland comes all the way back, ties it at two, a late push. And then it looked like the... It looked like Finland was going to win. Shot gets chipped over goaltender uh, uh, Dylan Gar- uh, Dylan Garand. Puck goes over him, and then Mace McTavish had a midair. It was like, I think it was lucky. But man, it, we saw a lot of talent at this tournament, not just from Team Canada. Finland had some players. Toby Niemelo was gross. We saw some really uh, sweet skill from the, the Swedish team. Latvia made it past the preliminary round for the first time ever. It was a lot of fun. Uh, Canada, was it's been as dominant a tournament as they've played in a long time. They were a perfect 7-0, outscored their opponents 41-14, and it's their 19th gold medal in tournament, tournament history, which is by far the most of any nation. So congratulations, Team Canada. And in like five months, we get another World Juniors, which is just awesome. And we'll have the NHL season going by then too. So fantastic stuff. Congrats to them. Uh, what a job. Heck of a job by Finland. What a team that they were. And uh, and I'm ready, for, I'm ready for this tournament to go again in five months. It's fantastic. Before we head on out of here, we got to get to a couple different news stories. The first one, which I just got, Carolina Hurricanes signing center. Paul Stasny to a one-year, $1.5 million contract. They had a bit of a vacancy. Uh, they did go out Carolina, and they signed a few different players. Uh, as of this moment, Jesperi Kokteniemi was listed as their second-line center. He can now move down to the third-line center. You've got a second-line center now in Paul Stasny, along with Aho and Svechnikov, and this team is going to be so sick again. That basically fills the role of Vinny Trocek, and Carolina does a masterful job at waiting out the market getting a really good two-way center as their second-line center, and he's going to slot right in. He's going to play really well with a few different players. They also re-signed Marty Nietzsche, so they are bringing back the band, and they also brought along Brent Burns and a couple other players, so they're going to be good. Oh, and a healthy Frederick Anderson, too. So they get a deal done. Stassi gets to play another year, and Carolina is once again another juggernaut. 
Kyle Turris announced that he is hanging up his skates after 14 seasons in the National Hockey League. They announced last week uh, he agreed to join the BCHL's Colquim Express as a special advisor to the general manager and a player development coach as well. He finished his, his career with 425 points in 776 games. He was the third overall pick in 07. Never found his footing there, and then he really took off when he went to Ottawa, had a couple really good seasons, had that playoff run, moved around a little bit, and then officially announced his retirement. And finally, the NHL is going to be holding its awards and draft in the Music City, yes, Nashville, on June of 2023, the first time the league has held both in the same city since 2006. Uh, so yes, both the awards and the draft. In Nashville, Tennessee, the first time the league is doing both. Um, They're very thrilled about it. Nashville, there were rumors about this happening before the draft of this past year. And now it comes to fruition. Nashville and, of course, the Predators, if you remember, they hosted the uh, NHL All-Star Weekend in 2016. They had the 2017 Stanley Cup Final, an outdoor game in February. And they have just been on a roll since. And I know that they've lost a few players since then. But Nashville, it's a fun city, man. It's a fun city. And uh, if if you remember, the, the NFL drafted it a couple years ago. In uh, in Tennessee, oh man, just an absolute. I, they know they did it in Nashville, right outside of uh, where the Titans play, and uh, that's a pretty good spot for not only awards but the All Star Game as well. That's going to be a lot of fun. So uh, a big win to the National Hockey League. Alrighty, that does it for me today. Thank you as always. You can tune in and listen on Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Instagram, and Twitter. SD Hockey Podcast. Continue to enjoy that summer, baby. It is nice. It is warm. It is beautiful out there. I'm going to go take my dogs for a you-know-what because they're in the room right now. And if I say it out loud, they're going to freak out. So enjoy the rest of the week. I'll see you on Tuesday of next. Until then, it's a wrap.